Welcome in, everybody, to the Storied Podcast. This week's episode, we share two archery elk stories. Both of the stories are about our first elk harvests. Two different tags, two different hunting styles, but two different success stories. Listen in and enjoy. I know we've been gone for a while, but today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about elk hunting. I mean, Ruben, your tag was over the counter, right? Yep. Uh, for the story and for uh, what I've been doing lately. Okay. And then mine was over the counter as well. So we'll talk a little bit about some over the counter, different ways of elk hunting. And um, I guess we'll dive right into it. We'll probably, we'll, Gert, we're going to catch you guys up on kind of what we've been up to and start it out with meals. I'll start her out with my meal. My favorite meal we've had in the last two weeks since we've been on this, three weeks. I don't even know how long. I think it's been like six. <laughs> okay, maybe six weeks. But mine was uh, a maple salmon in sweet potato on the grill. So there it was an easy recipe. You pretty much took your maple syrup and your butter and you melted that down and mixed it with your fillets and let it sit for a few hours. You could do it overnight if you wanted to. And then mix in your potatoes, that mixture with the potatoes too, and then put that all in the grill and cook her till she's done, really. And easiest way to really test that is, I don't know, I think it was like 30-some minutes on there. But kind of take your fork and just turn it and it'll start flaking apart. But that was a good meal. And that salmon was from my sister. I traded some turkey that I shot from Wisconsin she wanted some wild turkey, and then she had some salmon from a neighbor that would go up to Alaska and catch it. So That sounds so pretty that, good. Yeah, there you go. Use your meat to get other meat sometimes. <laughs> it's legal, right? I would have to check on what state you're in about exactly how that goes down. Not but sure. All right. All right. I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, All right. How about you? I think if there's no money or ounces involved in your little deal, I think you're probably fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to start off actually with a mini story leading up to my meal to tell you about uh, how how I got. Because normally we say just kind of briefly how we got what we cooked, but this mm-hmm. one's pretty com- comical. I can't talk comical. Uh, and it was uh, opening weekend of elk season a couple of weeks ago. I was out um, hunting, and uh, I ran into a covey of spruce grouse. So I got my arrow out, my grouse arrow. You know, I always keep a a shitty arrow that I don't care if it flies off into nowhere with a blunt tip on it to clean up on some grouse. Probably shouldn't have been shooting at these grouse at this point. It was like two hours before dark in a really good area for elk, but I kind of like was having a rough time of the day. And so I, uh, I don't know if people realize, but spruce grouse, as you're about to hear, are like the dumbest birds alive. Like, actually, yeah, we saw some on our bear hunt. Yeah. Well, actually, those were blue grouse up yeah. there, but we saw spruce, spruce grouse on that other hillside. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the next day after uh, I tell this story, though, I actually caught a juvenile one with my bare hand. Just grabbed it, <laughs> and I did not kill it. So that's not an illegal method to take. I just caught it and let it go. But so I, uh, I was about ten yards from this one that was pecking around feeding, and I just drew, drew on her, you know, and shoot. And I was lined up like a rock or not, hopefully not a rock, but like a log or the ground so I can go get my arrow afterwards. And uh, somehow I I was aiming for the base of the neck and I just missed like 
half an inch to the right. And that thing literally just stopped, looked at me, and then continued pecking around with it. It like stepped over the arrow because it hit a rock there. And, and, <laughs> and so I just went up and I grabbed my arrow. But the problem was that the knock from the impact of the rock, the knock had flown off and I couldn't find it. So oh, I was like, yeah. oh, crap. But there's still like five screws grass around. One of them's a male, like strutting. He, he's confused about the day length. Like apparently he, he's yep. all trying to get the ladies' attention. They obviously don't care. And so... I got my arrow, but the knock was gone. So I'm like, oh, crap. Well, I'm going to take a knock from one of my four broadhead arrows and put it on there and, and kill these things. You know, you can shoot three of them. That's your daily limit. So then I lined up again on her, really lined up with a log this time, shot, and I freaking feathers came off, but she flew up into a tree like 10 yards away and just looked at me. Like it hit her, but not well enough. I'm like, how am I, how am I missing? I mean, I know it's a small target, but this is like 10 yards. And this time my arrow like flew, like it, it must've nicked off this log and it flew away. I'm like, crap. So I went and I was searched for the arrow for like two, three minutes, found it, came back. I'm like, all right, this, this big old strutting male, this one, this one's going to get it. So I lined up on him, log behind, shoot, takes feathers off of his neck. He flies up in a tree and is looking at me like nothing happened. I'm like, and that time the arrow, I could hear bounce off some trees like 30 yards away. I was like, what the hell is going on with this? So I walked over to the arrow again to find it. And I almost stepped on another grouse. that was just sitting there. I searched around for like five minutes, find my arrow. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to just take this one. I almost stepped on and I shot and killed that one. And then I'm like, okay, these other two, I know they're in a tree, but there's like a big dead, tree with no bark on it right behind them. And I'm going to just line up with that one. And I'm going to shoot that male out of the tree again. Like I hit both of these birds, but they're both acting completely fine. Yeah. And so I walk up. Wait, five do you have an, uh, do you have a explanation for that? Like just, I think I just, structures aren't. No, I think I just, I, I think I just hit them like barely right or left of like their neck. Oh, or man, Yeah. Man. Like it hit, it, it probably like grazed their skin, you know? Okay. And so, and so I, uh, cause my, my arrow didn't have any blood or anything on it. It was just like a few feathers flew off where I like hit them. Yeah. So then I lined up on this thing again with the tree and I shoot and the same damn thing happens and my arrow hits the tree and that knock flies off into nowhere. So now I'm like, all right, I need to stop because I only have three arrows now for an elk. Cause I've lost yep. two knocks. I still have the one arrow, but now I'm, I've, I've lost the knock for that one too. So it's effectively not, not an arrow. And, um, so I'm like, all right, this is, this is really stupid. And these two grouse are literally five. I could almost grab them out of the trees and they're just looking at me. And I'm like, God, if I just had a slingshot or something, <laughs> like, yeah. but anyways, I got one and I got back to camp and my hunting partners I was with, they had about the same story with a different grouse that they had to shoot two times and they lost two arrows. So <laughs> the great grouse debacle of 2023 ends up in me taking both the grouse because they were staying up there a little longer. And I cleaned them up and I made them for dinner for me and Maddie. And um, basically what I did, I just took, you know, the breast. I kept the legs too because in, in Montana you're required to keep the legs. So what I do is because they're so small, I keep the legs from the spruce grouse and just kind of pile them up in a plastic Ziploc in the freezer until I have enough of them to add to like a slow cooker recipe. 
And then the breasts I took and I just marinated in balsamic vinaigrette and rosemary for like four hours. And then um, just pan seared those to medium rare. And we had it with uh, some big, you know, like uh, broiled potatoes and um, a nice salad she made with like some kale, pistachios, avocado, that kind of stuff. Um, And I thought it was great. It's the first time I ever cooked anything for my girlfriend that she did not like. She didn't like. That's not a selling point. You don't need to. You don't need to have that in this. No, (laughs) I thought it was good. If you like a a very dark meat with a lot of, you know, like kind of a little bit more acidic and like aromatic, like it's it's good. Probably like domestic duck and duck, like the dark meat stuff. I feel like that takes a special person or not. Yeah, it just takes. It's a different taste. Yeah, it's kind of like. I wouldn't put it. It's not like the thing where you have a genetic thing where cilantro tastes like soap. Some people do. Mm-hmm. It's not quite like that, but there definitely is people who don't like duck or like yeah. ducky tasting yeah. meat. And she she didn't like it because I thought it was I thought it was good because spruce grass can be really pine pine needle tasting if you get an adult after it's been eating pine needles all winter. These two were juvenile males, and I thought yeah. they tasted pretty good for spruce grass. So she just yeah. doesn't like it. Just funny, I could uh, I could totally picture you just flinging arrows and then tracking them down, looking for them, and then oh, another one! All right, another grouse there. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> frustrating. I, uh, I I need to super glue my knocks into my grouse arrows. Yeah, 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 because yeah. that's that's what happened. Um, but yeah, that was my meal, and um, that was a little bit into what I've been doing lately. But I think I'll let you go first on that one. What have you been up to in the last? Shoot, I feel like the last podcast we had was with Alec with the pronghorn, which is like end of July, right? I was going to say, yeah, it's it's been a while. Um, I mean, we've both been busy. Uh, Real busy. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was end of July. So at that time frame, I was kind of shipping off to go to Utah. I had a, a archery um, mule deer tag, so... I drove out to the old stomping grounds in Utah and tried to track myself down um, a mule deer. And as I got there, um, it was Hurricane Hillary. It was the remnants of that storm hit that uh, south uh, southwestern corner of the United States and just rained for days and days. So I, I kind of struck out when it came to the weather. But at, at the end of the tunnel, it kind of helped me get on a buck and... Unfortunately, I couldn't make a good shot on it, so uh, that ended bad. But otherwise, now and then when I got back, I had to kind of regroup and get back into whitetail mode. So I checked my cameras one last time a few weeks ago and kind of formulating some plans right now for what wind patterns we got and what bucks I got on camera. And I luckily, this is kind of the first year that I've got a lot of historic data on public land deer like that i feel like that doesn't happen a lot and i got one five-year-old buck that i watched last year he was a toad now he's even more of a toad so he's gonna be a hard one to track down and then i got a few other ones that are are good too but we'll see i'm excited for the season i've just been shooting i'm a new saddle hunter so my my buddy um kind of just let me use his saddle my co-worker I'm like, ah, maybe I like this. And then another friend of mine just let me use his for opener. So I did that and I rigged up a, a new platform because I didn't really like his platform. And 
I've kind of been getting comfortable shooting out of that. All the quirks of having ropes and I don't even know, but it's so far. I like it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when I comes to sitting there in three to four hours, but or but all day or yeah, all day. I might bring my hanging hunt. If I'm going yeah. all day, yeah. I'm bringing my stand and hanging it, but well, you've got a couple other things going on since then. I see your background's a little different there. Yeah, so moved away from uh, um, what you might call south uh, eastern Minnesota and moved to the little more heart of Minnesota, a little more west, but still have the same job, same same area, but just moved in with the with the girlfriend and and um, yeah, so it had all that work's been busy, you know. We've both been crazy. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, been, I've been. been I haven't had a archery mule deer tag like Ryan has, but um, I, August is very busy for us at work, and uh, I think I did like, ooh, in August I think I had like from August sixth until basically archery elk opener. I think I had like four days off, and like eighteen of those were field days. So a couple backpacking trips, a lot of you know stream surveys and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, if you're, when you're working that hard, the other time you spend trying to get ready for season or my folks even came into town. So that, that had a whole weekend that I was hanging out with my folks and deal with fishing with them, which was good. Um, so that was really busy. And then it rolled right into elk season and, uh, yeah, I've been elk hunting yesterday was my sixth day hunting elk this season. Um, started out at a backcountry spot that I just got out in June and, uh, it's five miles in and hunting from there, like where camp is. And I had to bring a couple of buddies in there cause that's a pretty long ways to hunt by yourself to get an elk out. Even though there's a lot of water in there and there's a, a pretty easy trail out that follows the stream the whole way. So you like with contractor bags, you will be able to like get that thing cold. Like we did with your bear. Um, but we went back in there and I wasn't quite sure if that spot was going to pan out or not. I knew it looked really good. It was on the edge of a huge burn. It was dark timber and everything. And I, I told these guys that I brought with, I'm like, I'm not promising anything. It just looks good. Right. And we like set up our tents Friday night before opener. And in the course of an hour and a half, like three different bulls came off the ridges, just screaming. And we we're like, okay, this is, this like, is good. That was right. That was right next to camp. Oh yeah. We glassed up a few of them. Like, wow. 800 yards away. Yeah. And we actually, we had a problem trying to figure out where to set up our tents. Cause we were like, there kind of wasn't a good place to set them up. That wasn't in the middle of everything going on with the elk. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't want the elk to see you or actually just run into you. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. And we were yeah. right where they were stomping around quite a bit and everything. Yeah. But anyways, long story short, we hunted that, that opening weekend between me and my uh, other buddies or actually brothers. We had like, four encounters with elk that were semi semi like close to getting shots, you know, like within like 70 yards of elk, but they had one where they were 35 yards from like a 320 bull screaming at them and they couldn't get a shot. They were Damn. pegged by a cow and, and he didn't give them a broadside shot for more than like a quarter second. But so we, we hiked out. I went back the next or this past weekend again with only one of the, two so we got two people back there and once again we were in the elk pretty much the whole time and they were screaming their heads off we got kind of messed up by a, a horseback rider came through the burn right when we were trying to work this satellite bull in from the main herd bull 
Um, it looked like it was going to work out, and all of a sudden, all the elk just bugged out of there. And we were like, well, they didn't wind us for sure, and they didn't see us, and they were screaming at our bugles, so I don't know. And then we went back down there in their fresh horse tracks since we had left camp that morning. So kind of sucked, but then I, you know, we, he had to go. So we hiked out and I started hitting spots that I've hit in the past. Um, went to this spot that I hit last year that had not a lot of elk, but we got really close to killing a big bull in there. Me and my buddy checked that out, had a very short interaction with a bull in the same exact spot, but I think I took too long trying to get in on him before I bugled again. And I think he hooked me. He went downwind without mm. bugling. And then I just didn't hear him again. And I think he got my wind, but Next morning, I hunted that spot. Got like two wimpy bugles. Decided to skip town and, and went back to this next spot um, that I've hunted quite a bit. Got up there. Kind of a lot of trucks there and everything. But I'm like, I've hunted this spot a lot with trucks here. And I go two miles back and you just kind of don't see anybody back there. And I know how the elk work here. Go back there. This is last night. Um... Kind of sort of got called in by a hunter. Not really. I, th- I thought immediately that it sounded like not a real elk. But this dude had such a weird calling sequence that I was like, maybe it is a weird elk. Because, like, I've never heard anybody put shuckles and bugles together like that. Like, it's just weird. Yeah. And then I started getting closer. And then I started hearing a bunch of cow calls. Because I was bugling back at him. You know, I was, like, trying to interact. And uh, I started hearing a bunch of cow calls. And that's kind of when you know it's like, okay, I generally don't hear cows a lot when i'm hunting out here like on their own and so i, I started glassing hillside and i glassed him up and he was on the side of the hill with a montana cow decoy um, oh yeah the other weird part about it was there was a bunch of cattle like 300 yards from where he was calling from and i feel like elk generally don't hang out too close to cattle and so I was like, oh, crap. So I was walking back up the hill and all of a sudden I bumped into an, a, another hunter coming down to me and um he had heard me bugling and he was like oh you know we're in, we're we're hunting here my name is very friendly like right up front he's like hey my name's cody like he didn't even like say are you hunting like what's going on he's like ah, i'm cody like just straight up i'm like oh i'm, I'm ruben how's it going he's like yeah. yeah i thought i heard some bugles over here and and is that like an elk on the other side i'm like no it's a hunter he's like you glassed him up i'm like yeah he's like oh okay and we started talking and I'm like, where are you coming from? He's like, Oh, from Wisconsin. I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, where at? So he's like ripping. I'm like, I used to run there. Nice. Ripping and, good cookies. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, yeah, I'm not from here. My, my buddy, my buddy lives in great falls. He's who I'm out here with. We're camped up here about two miles in, which I wasn't an asshole to him, but they were camped like on a ridge only two miles from a truck where, where they're above some elk bedding areas and at night their scent's hey, got to be just don't. dropping in there. And, he's, and like two, it, it was not a hard there. hike. It was not a hard hike either. It was like two miles in. I'm like, dude, I don't know if two miles is long enough to be like camping out back here. You know, I, I don't want to interrupt, but we were all from Wisconsin once and yeah. relativity is definitely a thing. When you first move out there, it's yeah. like two miles. Like, yeah, no, yeah. try six to ten yeah yeah, yeah. you know like that's in there yeah so anyways but come to find out that both of them they met at university of wisconsin stevens point and they both college college. yeah yeah and they both graduated from there uh the year before we both started going there Um, wow yeah so if yeah I, i was almost curious if we were gonna overlap but they weren't in the natural resources they were in business and uh one guy was in the 
ROTC, I think, in the military. I don't know what he was studying, but he, oh. he's, he's in the Air Force now. That's why he's in Great Falls. Yeah. There's a military base there. Anyways, so I'm like, I'll leave you guys to it. I got our spots around here to go drive to. And so I'm like hiking back, and I'm going to check this one bowl on the way back that in the past has held a bull at dark and it's only like a mile from where I parked the truck. Not even actually where you can call down into there is literally about 600 yards from the truck. And I feel like people pass it up cause it's so close. And lo and behold, that's where I shot my bull last year, first bull. And that's what we're going to talk about right now is how I killed that bull. Nice. So that was back in the same spot a day later last year so i shot my bull on september 11th last year yesterday was september 12th so, so when you check when you check that bull last time this last time uh nothing right? nothing nothing down there yeah, yeah. um and but it's worth checking it's worth checking and uh yeah. if i had heard something down there i would have camped in my truck again and gotten up in the morning and gone back in there but anyways how did you get that bull last year well we're gonna we're gonna talk about that so that's what I'm trying to move you into here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to rewind last year. So I was kind of doing the same thing last year. I, I had a couple spots that I was hitting, getting an elk. One spot kind of got blown up by a bunch of people once I hit the weekend. And I, I took off to hunt with my buddies, Caleb and Alec, up near where uh, they lived. And um, we didn't get into too much that morning. We went to the brewery, got some pizza, and then I went back to Alec's. And I'm like... I th- I think I'm gonna go to that spot that I hunted two years ago because I hunted this area in 2020 really hard, so I learned it, but I didn't kill anything in there. And I'm like, I'm gonna go in there, like, you know, it's it's an hour and a half drive from here, so I'm gonna have to wake up at four, so it'd be it'd be you know pretty early wake up call. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go in there. He's like, okay, and then he's like, well, you want to watch Interstellar first? And I was like, dude, it's 8:30. I gotta wake up at four. No, I don't want to watch Interstellar. I want to go to sleep. <laughs> And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to watch something visually stimulating. You can, you can go to bed. I'm not hunting in the morning. <laughs> like, I'm like, all right. So I went to bed. And I'm like, well, I was, I told him like, you know, well, if you're not hunting in the morning, then I'll be ready to call you if I need to help pack out, you know? So I wake up, drive. It, it's a long dirt road. And the last mile of it is like definite four wheel territory. You know, it's like big rocks, slanted ruts, all that kind of stuff. I get up there and there's two trucks there. One truck has tents next to it. And the other truck is parked right next to where I would park at the trailhead. But nobody was moving around. Like there were nobody's headlamps were on. Nobody was up. And it's early enough where, um, they wouldn't be like, unless they're already packed in three miles back there, it's early enough where they would be up moving around, getting ready to go, but they wouldn't already be in there. It was probably like 45 minutes before shooting light. Right. So I got there at the point you would think they'd be like getting their packs on ready to walk out, you know? And, um, but I've come to find out that not a lot of people like to hike in in the dark. Yep. So, uh, that's an intimidating thing for most. Yeah. Especially in bear country, which it's not super thick with bears where this spot was, but Mm -hmm. we're definitely in Grizz area, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I get out of the truck and I'm just like quickly getting my stuff on. Cause I, I don't want to wake these guys up if they're there and have them come out and talk to me and be like, Hey, you know, we're going in there. Cause like, this is a trailhead to like, I don't know, 20 square miles, you know? So I yeah. don't want to be like having to argue with someone and be like, well, you know, there's a lot of space back there. Like, so yeah. 
and and so I start hiking in and you have to go up this long ridge before you drop into the other side where I hunted a lot before, but I'm hiking up it and it's still like completely dark out. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to check this bull right here. Like, I don't care if those guys at camp hear me bugle, like I'm going to check this bull. So bull B O W L not, yep. not, not B U L L. Yeah. Yeah. Geographic feature. And yeah. Yeah. And I know down in there, there's like multiple seeps and a couple wallows and it's like a perfect, you know, like amphitheater, like it's a half circle, just perfect bowl. So I, I bugle down in there and nothing. And so I turn to start walking and continue over the ridge, to the other spot. And all of a sudden I hear behind me <laughs> chuckle down in there. And I was like, okay, he's right down there. And I'm like, well, now this is kind of tough because I'm about 400 feet above him and it's, it's downhill thermals before dawn, you know, but I'm like, as long as I can back out of here and get down on his level without him smelling me, I'm going to have a pretty good way to play this because anywhere in that bowl, you're going to be below him with the thermals. This was at like Chris daylight. Like this was barely even you could see. I, was tur- I turned my headlamp off when I bugled at him. Because I didn't so, want I mean, anything to see me. You know, I couldn't you really see you me. Okay, so yeah. you didn't have a lot of time, really, before the thermals started rising, really. No, I did. I had a couple, couple hours or so. Okay. It was yeah. it was a north-facing bowl, so, like, it, oh, okay. so that's it, it wouldn't have gotten sunlight in there for a while, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, so, I dropped down to his level. And the other thing about it is that to get into this spot, you have to go about 200 yards across some really steep shit which I think keeps people out. They're on the trail. They look over there and it's like, just a drop. And it's probably like, people don't want to go down in there that way. So I start going down it with my headlamp off, just like barely being able to see. And I start kicking rocks. And as the rocks are falling, he starts bugling again. Cause he, he I think he's hearing me and thinks I'm a bull coming in on him. Mm-hmm. A bull coming in down the bull. Yep. <laughs> you are all coming yeah, yeah. to the B O W L. Yeah. And so, I, get, I finally get down there to where I'm not kicking rocks and everything, and I'm on his level. I'm like, okay, good. I'm safe with the wind now as long as they're still in there. And I start creeping in, and then it's like, you know, it's still like 15 minutes before legal, so I, I, I just stop calling because I don't want to call this thing in before I can see or legally shoot. And so I sit there for a while, and, and nothing happens, and he doesn't bugle. And I'm like, okay, I'll hopefully he's still around. So I kind of start creeping up. And there's kind of like a ridge in the bowl. So if you picture like uh, a half circle dropping down and in the middle, there's kind of like a a gradual like spine ridge that goes off to each side. So it'd be like a a W almost if you're looking down from aerial. And so I get on the one side of it and I start creeping up to where I I knew they were. And then I look ahead and I see some some elk and, and there's a couple cows probably like 80, 100 yards in front of me just kind of moseying around. I'm like, okay, well... I'm going to just cow call and see what that does. So I cow called a couple times and it did nothing. Um, which I've come to find out, you know, like whatever they respond to keep doing because I've done it a lot of times. And I know people do it often when they bugle at a bull and then they're like, okay, find them with the bugle, move in and then cow call them in. And I almost wonder if when people have success doing that, if they're not calling in the bull that they bugled, it got to bugle back, but they're just calling in satellites because 
I feel like maybe the herd bull is the, what's bugling back and they go in there and the satellites aren't making too much noise around the outside and you start cow calling. They're like, Oh, easy cow, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I cow called nothing happened. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to wait a second and I'm going to bugle again. So I bugled and he bugles back right away. I'm like, okay, that's good. And I got a location on him. And so I start moving kind of, you know, I'm probably 150 yards about from where he is and I'm below him with the thermals, wind's good, everything. And there's enough terrain in here, little folds that you can like get within 50 yards of line of sight. Like you can peek over and see 50 to 70 yards, you know? So I start working them and, and we start going back and forth and the, the temperature starts to rise. He starts to get really pissed, but I think he's trying to move his cows away from me. And generally what happens when I've had this happen so many times, they, they just round up their cows and go straight up the mountain and it's impossible as a human to like follow them like that. (laughs) Or if you do, you're never going to get ahead of them for a shot. And so, but he started to like work his way around the bull at the same elevation. So I'm like, okay, this is good. I can follow him doing this and stay below him. And so like we get to like a little tiny place where I couldn't see over. I'd bugle at him. He'd bugle back. I'd chuckle. He'd start chuckling even more. And, and, Sometimes it sounded like he would start coming in a little towards me, but then he would stop and then he'd move off and then his next beagle would be a little further. And so we're just playing the whole cat and mouse game now. We're like, who's going to see who first, you know? And and I'm like screaming at him, trying to get him to come to me. He's doing the same thing. So this happens for about 15 minutes. This is going on. We cover maybe 200 yards. And I get, I get well below him because – a lot of times you have to like take a chance and really try to get ahead of them. Right. And, and the problem with that is you can make a lot of noise. You can go out into the open without knowing it or, or you kind of lose them. If you try to do that and they're mm-hmm. not bugling, you kind of lose their location. But I dropped down the way it was going. I dropped down and kind of jutted a little ahead of them and stopped at an opening and started calling. And he got really pissed at that point. And he's coming down to this opening and I'm like, you know, I ranged the trees. I got my arrow knocked. I got my release on. And, you know, I'm, my heart's thumping. And I'm like, all right, any, any moment he's going to come out in this opening. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And like two minutes go by, four minutes go by. And I'm like, okay, he's not coming. Like, what happened? Where'd he go? I'm like, I hope he didn't win me, but I guarantee you he didn't because I can hear very well and there's nothing went below me. So I wait five minutes. And so it's almost 10 minutes since the last bugle probably. And I bugle again and he bugles again, but he's pretty far off at this point. He's probably like 200 yards now away from me. It's so, but he's still at that elevation going around the bull. He's not out of the bull yet. And I'm like, okay, time for the big move, Ruben. Like I'm going to drop 50, hundred feet elevation. And I'm going to just literally sprint as fast as I can to get ahead of where this bull is. And this, these cows are going. And so I dropped down there and probably for about like three, four minutes, I'm literally rotating kind of around you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So if we, yeah. So if we started in the middle of the bull on that little ridge, I talked about, if you're looking down at, he's moving like counterclockwise to the edge to get out of the bull and I'm below him doing the same thing, but he's staying a little bit ahead of me. Yeah. And and we're getting closer and closer to the edge. And I, I, there's a, there's a pinch point that comes up. And so mm-hmm. I kind of knew where that was on the map. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to sprint to there. Cause I think that's where they're going to go through. So mm-hmm. I, I like run like probably three minutes. I'm like literally, you know, running as fast as I can, like without tripping over stuff and falling. 
and I get to this big rock and I'm, I'm like below where he is. And I'm like, he's got to be right around here. And I hadn't heard him bugle in a little bit. I get behind the rock and this rock's probably like 10 feet tall. And, and if you picture like I get behind the rock, it's to my right. Uphill is to my right. So this is a 10 foot tall rock I'm behind. And then right behind it is like a pretty big game trail that just slopes down the rock. And to my left is a flat. So I'm like, this looks like a good spot, you know? So I, I turn and I, I purposefully put my bugle tube behind the rock and away from where I think the bull is. Cause I want to make a bugle that sounds even further in front of them. So yeah. it really sounds like I cut around them. Yeah. And so I bugle that way. And I didn't even like finish the bugle out of my bugle tube and like right above the rock. I just hear just screaming. And then all of a sudden, dum, 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 dum. I just hear him just start to run like the ground shaking. I'm like, holy shit. Like he's going to come out right behind this rock at four yards, you know? So I, I, I've knocked my, or I, I had an arrow already knocked. I, I put my release on. I drew back. Cause I'm like, I knew this one tree was 15 yards, but I'm like, he's going to be inside of that. Like, I don't even need to do anything but put my top pin where I want to shoot. So I drew back and in Montana, a legal bull has to have four inch brow tines. So I'm like, all right, as soon as I see four inch brow tines, I'm letting this arrow fly. And I'm also thinking to myself, if he doesn't come straight out from the rock and he like wraps to the left around it, like I'm going to die. Like he's going to trample me, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like kind of nervous and sure enough, like, and, and this is the thing that I remember the most probably out of this entire situation. Cause okay. You know how, uh, you smell elk piss, you smell wallows. Then if you're near elk, you smell elk. Yeah. But, but they're always kind of a ghost. They're like always a step ahead of you. And it's like, the smell is like, it was right there right now. As soon as this thing runs around this rock, I get hit in the face with like the strongest hottest elk smell I've ever smelled in my life. And that's what like seared in my brain. It's like this animal that I've been chasing, like a phantom for like three years trying to kill all of a sudden, like I'm literally breathing it in right now. Like, boom, it's real. It's here. And he comes behind this rocket four yards. And I look and it's like, yep, that's a legal bull. <laughs> and I just, I didn't even put a pin on it. I just had, you know, my peep in the, the housing of my pins. I just put it right behind that shoulder blade and he's moving. Like he's, he, he slowed down enough coming around the rock to see what was going on that he wasn't running, but he was still moving. And I just waited till that, that shoulder and his leg went forward to open it up. And I just touched my trigger and zoom. And I heard my arrow hit behind him, but I didn't really hear an impact. So I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure I just, blew right through him because yeah. there's no way I missed. And I just heard that arrow hit a tree like 10 yards behind him and yeah. he jumps and runs 30 yards. And I immediately grabbed my bugle tube and I screamed again and he stops at 30 yards and he's standing there and he's just looking around. I'm like, dude, I swear to God, I like smoked that thing. And, and the, where he was 30 yards from me, there was a tree right across the middle of his body. So I knocked another arrow, but I couldn't like, I couldn't draw on him. And I was waiting for him to like decide to take, you know, take a couple steps and draw again. And I'm like, I got my binos on him. I'm trying to look to see like where the shot might've hit and if there's blood and that tree was right in the way. And I couldn't see anything but his head and his ass. And I'm just like, and he's just standing there like nothing happened, like really confused. He's like, okay, that was weird. A weird noise. Um, 
the and then and then, yeah. and then there's no bull here. Like what's going on? And then, and then he starts to walk down the hill and I didn't really have an opening. So then he goes behind a tree lower than me and I draw back again and he's at about 45, but I didn't range this because like I just shot him. I'm in the moment. So I hadn't ranged that. So I'm like, well, I already hit him. I like know that pretty much. So I drew back and I shot again and I hit a branch between us and the thing that arrow just flew off the mountain to the next galaxy. I don't know where that arrow went, (laughs) but that made him jump and he ran a little further and then stopped down there just out of sight. I I heard he stopped though. Like he didn't run off. So now he's down there and I can't see him. And I'm like, I start, I texted Alec and Caleb and I was like, all right, I just shot one. Like pretty sure I just smoked one. And you know, they're like, well, should we get ready to come up? I'm like, yeah, like I'm confident enough that you should get ready to come up. Like, start coming up here. It's an hour and a half from their place. Um, and I'm like, I'll let you know if like anything else happens. And so I'm sitting there and as I'm text, I know that I know the time frame of this. Cause I sent that text like two minutes after like, you know, he, I shot at him again. And then I, I, I listen down there and all of a sudden I hear like something moving around. I'm like, okay, is he not dead yet? And then I, all of a sudden I, I heard him start coughing, like, coom, coom, you know, like coughing and I'm like, no. okay, that's a good sign. So I texted Alec and Caleb that, and I was like, okay, I just heard him coughing. Like, it sounds like he's, you know, about to die. And I looked at the difference between the, um, the first text I sent them and that one, and it was eight minutes. So, like, I double long passed through, shot this elk at four yards, and he's still alive eight minutes later down there. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive. I hope, like... I hope I got him as good as I got him. So I'm like staying there and I'm like, you know what? I'm uh, I'm not going to like push this. I've heard of elk living a long time after they get shot. So I, I texted them. I'm like, you know what? I'm walking back to my truck. I'm not even going to try to track them at all. Like you guys are going to take an hour and a half to get up here. It's still early in the morning. I'm going to just wait at my truck for you. And then we're going to all go in together and track this thing and make sure like, I'm pretty sure he's dead, but just to make sure. And, um, actually my buddy brought his, uh, dog to his bird dog in case for some reason we couldn't find it. We could try to trail it, which is legal in Montana with, I think there's a leash restriction on it or something, but so I went back to the truck. I started calling everybody. I'm pretty sure I called you too. Um, and, and that's when I got like, I started to feel sick cause it was like, I was at an adrenaline high still. Cause when you shoot something and you go get it, like normally like the adrenaline wears off and you're just like, you know, excited and everything. But like, I hadn't gone and got it yet. So I'm sitting there for an hour and a half, like pretty sure I just killed my first bull, but also not sure. And just sitting in my truck waiting for my buddies to get up there to track it. And I'm just like a nervous mess. Like I don't, I, there's nothing to do. Like I can't just like walk around or whatever. I'm just waiting. So they get up there. And, um, we go back in there and I showed him, you know, exactly when, where it was. And I found my arrow and, you know, it's completely coated in blood and I'm like, that's good. And it was red bubbly blood. And I'm like, that's good. Mm-hmm. So then we walked to where he stopped immediately after I bugled at him. And there's really not that much blood. There's maybe like a softball size, little like spattering of blood. And then we went down there and we really weren't following blood cause there was hardly any. And I'm like, but I heard where, you know, I thought he died. So me and Alec went ahead and I had my binos out in my, you know, my arrow in and everything. 
watching ahead of you. Yep. Yeah. And we snuck in real, real slow on it. And actually it was great because Alec, Alec has a really nice camera and he's, he's somewhat of a, you know, like hobby photographer. So he actually brought it with him and he was filming this whole thing while I'm coming up on it. And you can see where I see it first. And I'm like, there he is. And I'm like, okay, let's like take it real easy and get as close as we can to make sure like he's not breathing or anything. And we get closer and he's like, dude, I think we're making enough noise that, you know, if he was alive, he would have moved. And so we walk up and finally I, I get the whole view and I see his rack tipped on its side. And I'm like, dude, I didn't have, I was like freaking out. He got, he got the whole thing on yeah. video and I was just like, and I was like, oh, dude, it's a big one. And it wasn't a nice bull. It wasn't a huge bull. But the first one you kill, you're just like, whoa, mm. these are huge animals. And it, it ended up being a, a five point, like a 230-inch five point, which is like mm. a, a normal, like respectable bull for public land in Montana. But walking up on it, I was just freaking out. And then like putting putting my hands on those antlers and, and just like looking at it after three years of trying to kill one of these things with a bow, I was just like, I don't know. Didn't have much to say for a second. I was really relieved. And, and, and then, you know, I called Caleb down with the dog and everything. And, and we had a, you know, a good moment there and we're high fiving and everything and got a sweet picture. And the, and it was just like, I don't know if I'm doing a good job wrapping up the story here, but it was, it was just like, uh, the perfect first elk ever because, I really was focused on trying to kill one of these things with my own, you know, facilities like Alec and Caleb I had hunted with, you know, or talked with about hunting quite a bit. And they taught me a lot of things about elk hunting. And I've, you know, had a lot of, you know, close calls and called in a bunch of bulls, and never got shots two years previous. And to be able to go in there and prove to myself that I can do it solo and kill it. And then at the same time, have both of the guys that taught me almost everything I know about elk hunting come and not even just help pack it out, but be there when I first laid hands on it. Like you can't ask for anything better than that. Like for your first bull ever, your two best hunting buds coming up after you, you got it done on your own and them helping you pack it out, cut it up and pack it out. It was amazing. And it was, it was so close to the truck too, that I was able to do everything bone in. I brought a hacksaw, got the ribs out bone in which Alec was actually questioning me on that. He's like, well, I know you really like to save everything, but you know, there's a lot of weight here. And I'm like, just you wait, Alec, these are going to be the best ribs you ever had in your life. And they, he said they pretty much were after I cooked them for him like a few months later, but we decided to pack it all out in one trip, three people. Um, it was only three quarters of a mile from the truck where I killed it. And it was 200 feet up only. And, uh, I didn't really load their packs up too much because they're helping. Yeah. I ended up, I don't know how heavy my pack was. It was a short distance, but I'll bet you my pack was over 120 pounds. I had both front quarters bone in. I had the rib racks. I had the neck meat and I had the head. (laughs) And, and there's some pretty, pretty sweet pictures and video that Alec took of me packing that thing out. And it was one of those things where it wasn't like super exhausting, but it was like a heavy, heavy weight day at the gym. Like I wasn't like dead tired afterward, but the next day I was really sore because it was like low reps, high intensity, you know? 
Um, While it's like not good sore because it's all like that pressure just yeah, compressing your yeah. spine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's how that went down. And I, I, I mean, like, like I said, perfect first bull, worked hard for it, like for a few years, ended up being like a short pack out with like my two best hunting buddies in the area. And um, I got it done dogging the bull on my own. I feel, awesome. I feel like that's that's hard to explain, you know, like when you kind of mumble and stop about like after you shot the bull and now Caleb and Alec came up to see you. I'm like, it's like, how do you how do you tell that in a story? Yeah, like that's so impactful that it's like you, you yourself are the only one that really, you know, see it's it's just that's what you that's what you remember the most almost out of the whole thing is like sharing oh, yeah. it with them. And at least you could share it with someone. Otherwise, if you're by yourself, I mean, that'd be a whole different story. So, yeah. And that's rewarding in its own way, but it was just kind of like a, a perfect culmination of events to have that happen, have it happen close to the truck and have it happen close enough for your friends who are both free that morning to come help you. Like you'd yeah. like, I don't know of another time that that would like line up like that. Like yeah. to think about, all three of your schedules have to line up at the same time and you have to kill a bull. All those things happening on the same morning. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So that's how that went down. And I was hoping that a similar thing would happen yesterday in that same spot, but uh, I ran into a bunch of hunters and cows. So that did not happen. Um, yeah. yeah. That was my yeah, first bull. One, one to remember. Yeah. But, Speaking about the livestock, a wise sheep herder once told me, like even sheep and cows, he's like, sheep don't like no cow. Or uh, let's see. No, sorry. Refrain that. Elk <laughs> don't like no sheep, he said. End quotation right there. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I asked him, I'm like, hey, you been seeing any elk up here? He's like, elk don't like no sheep. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'll move on. Yeah, but that was so that was a Montana bull over the counter, my first bull. Third season hunting in Montana. And uh fourth season hunting for elk. My first season was with you in Utah. Mm-hmm. And Utah is where you shot your first bull. That's true. Yeah. The first season was me and you. Um we took a weekend. Was it a weekend, right? Long weekend, I think. Yeah, long weekend, and Utah offers a over-the-counter branch antlered bull, or you could go to a limited entry bull unit and shoot a spike or a cow. Archery wise, uh, muzzleloader and rifle are different. Also, but there's only two general units you can use that branch antlered bull one in the whole state. Yep, yep. Two two units. One very heavily pressured in the northern north uh, eastern part of the state. And then the other, very private. There is not too much um, public on that whole unit. So I remember when I bought, so me and you went um, years ago. I don't even know what year that that would have been. 2017. But me, me and you tried that one weekend and we didn't have uh, uh, much success doing that. So I thought I would try it again. I'm like, I'm a Utah resident. These tags are only $50. I can over the counter buy them. And I didn't have any tags in my possession at that point. So, um, I bought this tag and needless to know, I mean, 
what could go wrong did go wrong for me, really. I tried to go on the southern unit that is um, um, it's, it's branch antler bull as well, and I tried putting my cameras up and trying to get deer, but as soon as season kind of started getting close those deer or those uh those elk just kind of pushed into private but um i also watched some limited entry units and there was plenty of elk in those units and one unit in particular i love and i probably shouldn't love because it's it's just remote and a pain in the butt and um i i was watching it and i found some elk and i'm like this is the area to go i did evening after or the evening before opener i watched these bulls and a, a bunch of elk down in this little little valley and i'm like this is probably the spot i'm gonna go so i took my four-wheeler down yeah but you you have a this is for a spike this is for a spike so so pretty much i made the early conclusion that i'm just gonna go on a limited entry unit for a spike or a cow okay and i wasn't gonna try for a branch antler bull and so I found this one unit. I wanted to go, found some elk um, before opener. And I'm like, I'm going to drive up there on opener and hopefully, you know, locate them and put a stock on and try to get into them. So I slept that night, drove up there. I was a little late because I probably slept in a little too much. I got up there still in dark. I mean, at a good time. But um, as soon as I opened my bow case, on the back of my 1986 Fortrex that does not have suspension. And if you know Utah ATV roads, they are usually not very soft. And I opened my bow and I just saw my my bowstring just hanging over everything. And I'm like, shit. My bowstring has been cut by my hard case. There's one little piece of plastic in the back that it must have been rubbing up and down those roads and um, cut my bowstring. So I am, I, I, I was saying two hours away from a bow shop. At this point, ATV ride, I'm probably three hours away from a bow shop. <laughs> and so I mosey down the hill on opener. I'm opener without a bow. So I mosey down the hill, get my truck, and I try to get service and I try to Google like where my nearest bow shop is. So I ended up going to the bow shop and they're like, well, we'll get it in, but it's going to be a few weeks. And I'm like, what, like, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's just a string. You order a string and, and then I'm like, maybe I go somewhere else. But other than that, I was looking for another options. I'm like, okay, get a string, put it on, call me when it's done. And it was going to be a week or two. And in this season, it's only four week season that you, you buy. So this, my bow wasn't really going to get done. So I was just asking around, calling people that, I mean, I'm new to Utah. I don't know too many people. I was calling around to see if they had any extra bow or what I could do. So my boss, luckily enough, had this 1993 Martin bow as old as I am. Um, and he's like, here, this, this bow's good. I'm like, okay i'll try it out luckily i had a lot of old like sights and rest and stuff so i was shooting it trying to get it tuned in and those old bulls actually shoot pretty damn good it's it's crazy how much you think um like all these cams and all this the technology that has come um shoots these bows nice and smooth but 
1993 shot pretty good. No cams, nothing. I put this old True Glow sight on, and then I put a new rest on because it was just the fixed rest with the two aluminum prongs or whatever, so I felted it all in. I was shooting it, and it shot pretty, like, really good out to 60. I'm like, 60 is my yardage. I'll shoot out to 60. So, old bow in hand and all, I set out now closer to home where I could use my truck and then go to trailheads and hopefully hike for these animals. And I set out and all I could find was bulls. I got a spike and a cow tag on these limited entry entry units and all I could find was bulls. And I'm like, damn it. Like, I, I love this. I mean, I don't want to like take this for granted. I'm seeing all these nice bulls, but I'm like, I can't shoot that. <laughs> so I was seeing all these bulls and, um, so I kept moving and each day I was working during this time too. Each day I'd just go to my computer, e-scout an area, kind of highlight an area and be like, all right, this looks good. Let's work it. This looks good. Let's work it. This is what I'm seeing. So I was just trying to cover as much ground as possible. And luckily I got into a spot where I found a big herd and a big, big bull and some satellite bulls around it. I mean, yeah, this one bull that I found with this herd was was really nice. I mean, he was a 340, 360-inch bull. And um, so I'm like, all right, this is this is probably the area I want to be. Um, so I set out, for, set out for that area. And as soon as I kind of got in where this herd was the next day, um, it's a limited entry bull unit. So there was guys with limited entry tags walking around and, and I ran into him and he's like, well, we got a once in a lifetime. If anybody knows about Utah draw, I mean, it takes, even as a resident, it takes a lot of years to draw some of these tags, unless you're lucky and get one of those 50% tags. So a few guys I ran into a few times kind of pulled me off the herd when I was going to go jump in and try to put a stock on a cow and a spike in this big bull herd. So, so I'm like, all right, now what do I do? And so I went back to the maps again and was looking at spots where I could go. And I'm like, let's hike this spine ridge and see what's in there, you know? And, and I found this one wallow. Well, there was actually three to four wallows in this little opening meadow that wasn't even on the map at the time. You know, Onyx usually has everything pretty, pretty well labeled. And this was not even on the map as a spring or a wallow. And this unit previously within a few years had a massive burn over the top of it. So it was all Aspen shoots that were six to eight feet, feet tall. And I'm like, there's no sign of people up here. And it smells like elk, you know, like how you're saying it just, you get into an area that's yeah. elky. It just smells, it just reeks of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is my plan for the next day. So I went up there in the morning and my plan was to sit all day up in this wallow. It was, it was roughly around 10,000 feet and it was closer to that top two thirds of this, of this hill. Um, and I'm like, I'm just going to get up here and sit all day. So I went up there and sat all day and it was not a good idea at this time. This was, what, what was this? Eight years ago, probably. I didn't know much about thermals and wind and you sit up in a wallow and the sun gets high and it's low and it's cold in there. Your wind is doing all sorts of things. So, I mean, you only have like minutes or not minutes, but hours in the morning and the night 
to like get a consistent win pattern in there. And so the next day after work, I started working. I work at a fish hatchery and we're pretty busy during that time frame and stocking a lot of fish. So I kind of only had after work to, to uh, try to get on these animals. And there was less than a week left for me. Um, old bow in hand, tr- finally found a spot. Now I had to, had to try to hone in on like how to actually get this done on these wallows. The elk are here. You don't leave elk to find elk. I only got a few days left. This is the time to do it. So I went up on one rainy day and tried to sit after work and I just got, I just got soaked. It was, it was miserable. And I'm like, you know what? This is an old burn area. There is aspens. Like it's, it is, it is a booger to get up here. It was, it was a three mile hike on this biking slash hiking path. And then it was a mile up, up the steep hillside. That was all this burn of all these old aspens and there were shoots just everywhere. And you could not get into this meadow or these wallows without boogering anything up or at least making enough noise. So, so I'm like ADD me. I took my little knife and I'm like, I'm going to walk down this meadow to the spot where there isn't any. And then I just carved a little trail with these, with these trees. I don't know if this is legal or not. So (laughs) I'm public, but so I carved a little trail and then kind of walked this wash where I could down so I could get good access into this place. And then I, I kind of left where the trail biking trail, I tried to get at least an area where I could get close enough to this wallow where I wasn't hitting all these Aspen shoots. So the next morning I got up in there perfectly. I could set up and I was just playing cat mouse with this group. Um, for a day, I almost got close to this group, but they busted me the next time. It was, there was just a lot of cows, big bulls. Every morning I got up there, that freaking herd bull was just screaming down my throat. And it, it, it was an amazing hunt, really. But third day was the final day of the hunt, the morning. The PM, I really couldn't hunt. So I, I got up there super early. I'm like, I'm going to sneak up in, in here in the dark, shut off my light. So I took my little path I did got into this little area below all these wallows because I'm like, I'm not going to go too far and my thermals are going to drop down in the morning and the wind's right in my face. It's just beautiful. It smells like elk. And so I sneak up in there and all of a sudden I hear meow, meow. And I'm like, that's not far away. It's just pitch. It's just pitch black and meow, meow. They're just mewing. And I'm like, pretty sure the herd's right here. So I, I just settled in. And as it got a little lighter, I could see the silhouettes of the elk bedded like 70 to 100 yards away from me. <laughs> and it was one of those mornings too that like those wallows have some water in them and there's a little spring coming down this meadow that was sitting to my left. And there was a little um, fog just kind of on it. So I could see the silhouette of these elk and I'm like, bingo, this is go time. So as, as the light kind of got a little brighter, you know, shooting light approached, um, these elk got up and started to feed around this hillside. And there was, like I said, a meadow right to my left. And the first, the first animal to hit that meadow, meadow was this nice spike, nice tall spike. I don't, this was a, if, if this was (laughs) a trophy spike, 
well, this was a trophy spike because these spikes, <laughs> I don't even know. They were tall. They were a nice, nice spike. It was, it was the top 1% of the spike. <laughs> so, so he worked his way into this open meadow and I arranged the trees right in front of him. I'm like 50, 60. Okay, here he comes. So he comes, he's right in front of that 60 tree. I'm like, this is on the edge of my range. So I pull back that 1993 Martin bow with the old muzzy on top and I put it right on it and let it fly. And then all of a sudden that uh, spike runs off and then all of a sudden the herd runs off. That spike didn't make it 60 yards from where I shot him. And all of a sudden he stopped and you can hear that, <laughs> like that breathing, yeah. like <laughs> and he stopped and then all of a sudden he tipped over and started hitting trees and he was done within the matter of seconds and then that herd herd ran off with that big bull all that it, it was it was amazing but he tipped over luckily i smoked that thing right in the heart perfect shot i heard a lot of people say if you smoke if you smoke any animal in the heart it's it's not going anywhere but Smoked them, and so I went over there, retrieved my monster spike, and um, gutted it out, opened it up, because you know we're we're talking September, early September time frame. It could get warm, so I opened that elk up, and it was about a four mile hike out. So just like your story, I went back to our coworkers, and um, I'm like, "Do you guys want to help?" like pack out an elk. So they're like, yeah, let's, let's do that. All right. So (laughs) Gordon's retired now, so he can take the hit. Um, he's like, let's, we'll shut down the hatchery and I'll go up and help you. So all my coworkers, um, came up and, and helped me pack this elk out and, and took it in one trip. And just like yours, you know, it was, was, it's a special moment when you get to experience your first elk, even though it was a spike, like it was a monumental moment where your bow breaks, you're deflated, you're hitting this, you're, you don't know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I made probably bonehead moves. The guy that knows what he's talking about when it comes to elk is probably saying like, this guy doesn't know anything he's talking about, but you know, sometimes persistency is your best um, uh, trait to have when it comes to hunting. But it was a special moment taking my first, first elk there in Utah and sharing it with, all the people that meant so much to me when I lived out there, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's great. I I actually didn't realize how similar those two stories really were with the whole getting it done on your own. And then, and then having everybody that helps you prepare for that hunt mentally and like knowledge wise, come out and help you take it out, which is awesome. But there are also some differences big time between those two hunts. Um, both of them were over the counter, but you were hunting a spike and I was hunting any, any bull with, you know, four inch brow tines. Mm-hmm. So, um, we should talk a little bit about the differences of, uh, tactics. You said you didn't really know what you were doing, but it sounds like you knew what you were doing well enough to get in on them. I mean, I would say I didn't really know what I was doing either. Um, as my, well, I had some experience dogging bulls before and had them, had them almost work out. And that one finally did. Yeah. I feel like, you know, hunting you, you know, your weaknesses and strengths. My, 
I, I didn't know what I was, I, you know, I was, I was some random guy from Wisconsin trying to hunt elk for the first time. I didn't know how to call. And I knew that. And, and I wasn't going to call at bulls. I did have a cow call and all that. And I'm like, that's not good. That's not going to probably be the case that gets me an elk. So my, my tactic there was to just find them, kind of dog them and try to hopefully get where they're coming. Cause they, in Utah, they had that fire where I was hunting and you know, there's big news of how they winter seed all these areas that have fire mm. and, and you could totally see, I'm like, this is, this is the spot to do this. The habitat's perfect. So there's feed, water, cover all in this spot. I just kind of have to be persistent and figure out how to hunt it. I found the spot within the spot. I'm a whitetail hunter first. And you see, I mean, that's, that's how I knew how to hunt and that's, kind of how I hunted versus, I mean, you actually Western hunted. <laughs> I Well, this kind of comes back to what we were talking about in some of our Turkey episodes where, uh, uh yes, exactly. Where I'm, I'm, I'm running and gunning and calling and try to get gobblers going and get them to come in. And you're, you're more of like, you know, where they're going and you just sneak in on them. And, and that's kind of exactly how this elk hunt was too, is, is you were just like, I mean, d- I was having this conversation with AJ lately too. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, like it's not like one one way is the right way to do it. There are multiple Mm -hmm. ways to kill animals and whatever is the way that you do best is the way that you should go. And like, for me, I feel like it's not like, I mean, I feel like I can sneak on, sneak in on animals pretty well too, but I'm just, I seem to have more success by like rolling through spots and trying to find the animal that's willing to play ball. And, and you are a lot more like tactical patient, like figure out the habits and move in on them at the opportune time. And they both work. It's, it's, I guess, whatever works for you. That's the thing. I feel like as a hunter, you got to know your weaknesses and strengths. I mean, my weakness is my weakness in that. I mean, I bought a rangefinder. I didn't have crap worth money. I didn't have a rangefinder. I had this old Bushnell that didn't work that I got given to me, and it's like fifty dollars for a rangefinder. Oh, how am I going to spend this money? So, I bought the cheapest damn rangefinder there was, and I'm like, that thing. Even I use it to now this mule deer hunt. That's why I'm like, that's how I hunted, how I hunt because it's like yeah. it takes me how many ever seconds. That's a weakness. I'm like, I can't run a gun. I can't call. Not saying I should. I probably should know or uh, develop how to call. (laughs) But like all this, it's like, I can't do this. This is not my strength. This is not my strength. I mean, this is what I got to do to get an animal. So Mm. do what you do and do it well, right? Yeah. So you you patterned them and you got in there right at the right time. And I think that's important to note too, is both of us, in my situation, it didn't necessarily work out because I was in there before light, but I would say that that's something that sets our stories apart from a lot of other people. I don't know if they just don't want to, they're scared, they're lazy. They don't think they need to. Cause you don't really like a lot of times you don't need to walk in before light if it's the right day, but I feel like that gives you an edge. And I feel like that time frame right before legal shooting light is kind of a, a time that animals are doing things that you can key in on. Yep. You know, mid morning, they're already up to bed, you know, early morning, they might be moving around, but like that right at dawn, maybe they're still feeding, maybe they're bedded about to get up to feed, or they just came back from feeding and are bedded. Mm-hmm. Um, but both that, that's just a similarity I saw there is both of us 
were out there before legal shooting light when a lot of people might just be getting their pack on, you know? Yeah. We were up in the spot mm -hmm. when it was getting light. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times that I've done that for turkeys, for whitetails, for elk. It's like, I'll be walking out either successful or not successful, but having like had a good encounter, I'll be walking out when other people are walking in. Yeah, I like, agree. Morning's over, dude. And I, I guess it's not like a prideful, like bragging thing, but I'm, I'm just trying to point that out is um, like, if you're nervous about doing something, don't do it. But if it's something that you thought, like, should I get up that early? Yes, you should. Like you should be there when things are happening. And it's also under the cover of darkness and with consistent winds is a really good time to sneak into a spot. I agree about the wind big time. Do you, I believe like personally, I don't know what you believe, but do you believe that like deer elk, um, can't, can't see the greatest they can see at night, but they really don't, if they can't get a pinpoint on the nose, yeah. of what you are they really don't know what you are so you walk by jump them and then all of a sudden it gets light they might walk right by again i can't tell you how many stories i've had walking in pre-light where it's like yeah deer will be like literally walking next to me like what are you or my buddy caleb said he was walking into his elk spot the morning he killed one a few years ago and there was literally a raghorn bull following him bugling at him like he was a yeah. cow and yeah. or like um I'm trying to think of other times that's happened, but yeah, I think that gray I don't know light. If that's the truth, but I, I just well, feel I've, like I've gray light. In, they don't, they don't know what you are, yeah, unless they smell you. And also, one time I was up north in our front yard on a full moon night having a campfire, and I grunted a buck into ten yards right next to my truck. Yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like it's maybe a mixture of they can't see the best. But also they're like more confident for some reason. So they, they just like, that's their time to be out. I, yeah, yeah. So yeah, anyways, yeah, getting yeah. in there at night when they're still kind of like <sighs> predictable, I would say. And yeah. Or, or their guards down a little bit, you know? Yeah. 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 But where were we? So we were talking about getting in there before light. You you snuck in on him. Wind was good. I got in there before light. Wind was good. That's that's a similarity big time is even if the sun isn't shining directly on you, the sun coming up, the atmosphere starts to change. And you, you're, the, your wind is not as constant as it is when it's at the very end of the night when it's just pouring off on those thermals, you know. Yeah. Um, though, that's important. But I guess difference obviously would be I was um, getting in there and bugling my head off at a bull which i wouldn't say it was a herd bull so we both shot ours almost probably the same week of the year yes um they were in two different states but elk are doing similar things at that time uh and and you said you had a big old herd bull and a big herd and you were just trying to go for numbers oh here's a question i forgot to ask you would you have shot a cow if you got a shot yep 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 so in that, in that, like I said, it took me three times. So first time I had that same spike that I shot at 40 yards cross Canyon and I thought it was farther and somehow I didn't get my range finder up and I'm like, Oh, it was 40 yards away. It looked like it was like 60. Yeah. And then I had a cow come in and I kind of started figuring out with that bull, those bulls and that cow that the thermals, once the sun came up game over for Ryan, Yeah. you have a few seconds if that L comes in that it's not going to get your wind. Otherwise it's going to rotate around and it's going to bust you. But yeah. 
I would have okay. shot a cow. So you were going for numbers. So you you like we're just trying to find elk, period. Yep. But they're still they still were herded up and you still had a herd bull. Mm-hmm. I was going for a brow time bull, even though on in on my archery tag over the counter, I could have shot a cow too. But I I don't know, I was going for a bull. And but I had I had located him. I knew that he was a little fired up. I think that will that was still a little bit early, September eleventh. So like I don't know any of this for sure, but my guess would be that that bull, because it wasn't a it wasn't herd bull status. It was a 230-inch five-point. Like that's not gonna hold a harem of cows for more than a day until a bigger bull shows up. Yeah. But I think I think there was a small group of cows there, and it was the time of year when they're trying to round up cows, and he just had found them like that night, like when I right when I got in there. And so I like this is this is me looking into it and guessing. I don't know if this is true, but I feel like he had just found those cows and I had got down there and he didn't like me being around because he wanted to claim the cows, but he also wasn't running the herd yet. So he had troubles trying to take his cows and leave and that's how I could catch up to him. Because yeah. like a big herd bull that has complete control of his herd, like he would have like just bullied those cows up and ran them right up the hill away from me. But I think this bull that I shot didn't have control of that harem. He had just found him probably. And then he was like, Oh shit, here comes another bull. I'm going to try to fight him off while I'm trying to get these cows to leave with me, but they don't want to leave with me. So now I got to go back over there and fight him. And I think that's kind of how it played out. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that mid or early September timeframe is kind of like a whitetail analogy. That's what I know. So it would be like October 15th or early October, it'd be like, they're going to lay down scrapes and they're trying to get their goat or does. Some might be hot, all this stuff. And that's it. If you find an area where they're doing elk things or deer things, like they're bugling, they're doing all this stuff. Cause like in my circumstance, your circumstance as well. I mean, they were bugling. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't have a day from August 30th that till when I shot mine that I didn't hear an elk bugle. Hmm. So I mean, you find the hot spot. They're they're doing those kind of ruddy things. It's close to that time frame. They're getting ready for it. Yeah, but in your situation, I think calling would have been bad because there were so many animals, and the animals yeah. you were trying to kill really wouldn't have been susceptible to a cow call unless the herd got split up somehow. I, I so think, all you would be doing would be giving away your location. Yeah, I think it was screwed me because that herd bowl was with a big herd. Yeah. Like over a hundred plus, you know. Holy crap. It was it was it was a huge I don't know, I'd have to we we have we'll have to have some film on this stuff, but like he had he had a big herd. So yeah. like I was I was with a lot of animals when I shot that one. I was surprised they even Yeah. The one that thing that a trail. cow call uh, one thing a cow call would have done for you would be just noise cover. If you like broke yeah. some sticks and stuff and made a cow call, they'd be like, Oh, it's just a cow over there. Yeah, but yeah. but if you were trying to actually use that to lure in an animal that you were going to legally shoot with your tag, yeah. that I don't think that would have worked. I think it would just like it when you got real close to them, they probably would have been looking for a cow and be like, "Okay, there's no cow there. What's going on?" Yeah, you I know? wonder. Like in your, in your circumstance, my circumstance, I feel like they went to the darkest, deepest area where no one was going to be, because there was definitely people with a branch antler bowl, limited entry stuff that were dogging that group. But this group just went into the into the crap, you know, like where no one was willing to go consistently. I, 
and I luckily found it. Yeah. Um, why do you think that bowl that you shot was was in that little bowl? I that think B O W L. Yeah, B O W L. <laughs> um, I I think that it was the water. I oh, mean, there's multiple man. seeps in there, and and like I was saying, that trail goes right above it. And I don't doubt that they know there's a trailhead right there, Mm -hmm. but I think that they're pretty comfortable there at that time of day in the very, like at night, like at the very dark in evening and right into the morning because those thermals are just pouring off that steep stuff. So I think they're pretty comfortable that they can smell anything that's going to be up there if it's bad. And so I think they were there, but there's like, there's like, there's a bunch of seeps in there and there's a couple openings with grass. So there's feed, there's water, there's wallows, there's, it's all really dark timber in there. And it's it's right below, it's right, it is close to people, but it's right below, it's kind of like a whitetail bed right at a trailhead, you know, right? Or the parking lot. It's like, I think they know that they can smell when people are coming through. And I just got lucky enough to locate him and not have stood on that trail long enough for my scent to spill down in there, you know? Yeah. I, f- I feel like, you know, it's one of those overlooked spots that you hear people tell all these stories. There's no, oh, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Yeah. You know what? You should probably just go there because everybody, that's an overlooked spot that yeah. like your instance, I mean, you're, you were a new hunter to that area. Everybody probably just walked right by it mm-hmm. in reality. There was probably elk living there a good amount of time, you know? Yeah. No, but I had been but, down in that bowl previous. Like, I, oh. I, had, I had been in there before, and I had uh, called. A, I actually did chase a bull that went right up the hill two years before I shot that one. Like, what I was saying, how if he was yeah. in control of the herd, he would have rounded them up and got out of there. Yeah. Two yeah. years before, I had that same exact thing happen. <laughs> like, That's there cool. was a bull down in there in the bull, and he rounded yeah. his cows up and got out of there. So I knew I knew that area well. That's why I knew to check it. I was just like, I think I should check that again. Um, but that's what I'm saying is I think they felt safe in there because generally they can uh, they can smell or hear if someone's coming down in there. Yeah, and evade predators. Yeah. So yeah, that was so, difference is is I got in there and I pissed them off and I was trying to be the aggressor and you snuck in there and didn't let them know you were there. That so, was just another was, tree. <laughs> one was very aggressive and one, well, both were aggressive, but one was silent killer and one was very loud killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay. How about, um, our takeaways here, you know, both ended in very celebra- celebratory pack outs with individuals that, you know, mean a lot to you. And what was your main takeaway from your hunt? I would say go with your gut and, 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 and be willing to improvise or adapt because um, like I was saying, that there, there was a spot that I was into elk quite a bit, but then it got really, really busy. And so then I went up with Caleb and Alec in this other spot and then I was just thinking to myself like it's, you know, that, that spot – is a spot definitely to check. And I had that interaction before, like I just said, with a different bull in there. And I knew that there was a potential for an overlooked, you know, bull to be in there. Um, but the thing is you gotta, you gotta act on, I guess, act on your gut, not go with your gut, like act on your gut because you can always be like, you know, I bet you there's a bull up in there tomorrow, but 
to be able to get up at 4 a.m. and drive an hour and a half and like half an hour of it on a dirt road and four wheel drive and get to the trailhead and it's 40 degrees out and you're out there with two other trucks there and go in there. There's a lot of steps that people might be like, it's not worth the drive. It's not worth getting up. Oh, there's people here already. I wouldn't go in there. It's like, if you feel like something is going to happen, like just keep, keep going. Like, don't let things deter you, you know, cause you, you know, what's right. Yeah. Do do what's right. Like do it. Yeah. I knew it was right. I knew it was right to not stay up and watch a two and a half hour movie with Tom Cruise at 8 30 PM before I wanted to go kill a bull. I think is that Tom Cruise in interstellar? I think so. I, I was going to ask it early. What is an interstellar? So I'm not oh. good with movies, but it's I, right. I've, I've, <laughs> to this day, I've never seen it. Maybe I should never watch it. That way I can keep killing bulls. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like if you got something, if you, I think that's what we get back to a, a few times is like your, your brain has all these bits of information that you subconsciously don't realize it. And when people say go with your gut, what what there's what your gut is telling you is all these subliminal things that you can't put your finger on, but they're experiences you've had that just add up in your brain. And it's like, but you can't even analyze how fast your brain makes a decision on like, oh, this is like, you know, this is good to go here. Or if you walk yeah. into an area of the woods and you're like, this feels weird. I want to leave. Yeah. You don't know why you want to leave, but it's all these things in your past where you've had these situations where one one piece of this is telling you like reminding you of what happened 10 years ago. And then it's like, yeah, I should do this. So act on your gut. Like, I, I really think that means a lot. Cause it's not like, it's not like some like woo spiritual thing. It, it kind of is, but at the same time, it's, I think your gut is based off of real life experiences that you just don't yeah. remember the details of. Yeah. Well, you've been exposed to. Yeah. And yeah, let's see before I jump into mine interstellar. It's got Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. 2014. Okay, not Tom Cruise. Yeah. Not Tom yeah, Cruise. Close. That's close. But. Okay. But yeah, I, th- I think my takeaway was just persistency, man. Like, just like yours, overlapping yours was, you know, you're in the spot. Like, you just have to spend some time here. You know, there's going to be elk here and they're going to make a mistake. They're animals. And you just got to be here and you got to find the way to hunt that area. In my circumstance, I guess mine was kind of waiting hope, I guess. But, but yeah, just be persistent at it. Try to be out there as much as you can. Most people don't have a lot of time. I know, but if you find a spot where you're adamant about and you have that gut, gut feeling, keep going to it. I would rather have three sits in that spot and then a month in somewhere else, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, so those are like takeaways, I guess, but let's, let's also do the highs and lows real quick. And then I would think also, I kind of like, remember when, uh, we were on the catch my drift podcast, mm. um, and Matt was asking us what was a moment time stood still. And you actually told this story in like two minutes, not, not like that long, yes. but <laughs> I, I don't want to do, I don't want to, you know, copy Matt with a time stand still thing, but. Yeah, or I was kind of thinking about just like when you think of that hunt, the one image in your head you have from any time during that hunt. Like if I was to say, okay, Ryan, your your first bow, your first elk with a bow, what is the one part of that hunt that instantly pops in your head? Yep. I agree. So, okay, let's let's do go that. high, low, and then that. Okay. You go first. 
Okay. My high, my high was definitely um, having Alec and Caleb there when I walked up on that thing. I mean, that was a real special moment. We were talking about how you can't really describe that, but it's just like, you know, like I said, how that all lined up and you couldn't ask for, it couldn't paint a better picture of how that would go. Uh, my low would have been probably sitting in my truck for an hour and a half, waiting for them to show up and like having a panic attack, like just having like all that adrenaline in my body and just sitting there. I couldn't even eat or drink. I was just like, like kind of like fidgeting the whole time, like wanting to go in there and just waiting for them to show up. So that was the low. I wouldn't even say the pack out was a low because it wasn't. I mean, it was heavy, but it wasn't a low. Um, and then I would say for this, the one image, yeah, the image that I have in my head that I'll never forget isn't even an image. So I'm breaking breaking the rule on the first time we do this anyway. But it was it was the smell of that elk at four yards that literally hit me like a slap in the face. Like I had never smelled an elk like that before. Cause he, you know, he was totally rutted rutting and he was like, it was that rock and it was like a window that opened with a whole bunch of elk smell that just smacked me in the face. And it was like, like I said, it was the first time where it was like, I hadn't killed it and actually touched it yet. But for like three years I'd been chasing elk and they'd just been just out of my reach, you know? And when you smell an elk at four yards, and you're straight down one of them like that. It's like, this thing is real. Like I can touch this thing, you know, like that. And that was like the first time that's ever happened to me. And I'll never forget that. It's just like the picture in my head would be a big brown body and that smell. <laughs> yeah. 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 So my highs and lows, I'm going to just copycat the one off of yours. Like you said, a special moment between friends, like, or people that, you know, meant so much to you. Cause that was, that was my last year in Utah and it was like, that's a special moment before I moved back here to the Midwest with people that, you know, I, I became to cherish and stuff and, and then moved back here to Minnesota. But, and then my low was driving up into a spot, crack of dawn, still dark, getting ready to hike for another probably 45 minutes and opening your bow case and kind of being confused <laughs> and it's like my bowstring doesn't like go like this oh yeah it is uh severed right there and just laying there <laughs> and then to end that story i got my bow back um probably september 16th or whatever the last day of bow season they called me and said oh your your bow's ready i'm like well i already shot my elk so <laughs> yep um so that that was my low um, and then, uh, the picture, the picture was, I could paint this, this, I could just paint this in my mind right now, but this spot was an old burn area. So I just imagine this whole hillside being wiped out by a fire that I lived right next to. Um, and it was all an old Aspen white fur, all that stuff, thicket with this meadow down the middle. And it had a spring running right down the middle, green grass, but it had it had three or four wallows in it, kind of just staged in like that dike stage. And um, when I moved up in there, I remember it was it was a, a foggy morning, and as that light just kind of creeped up where I could see the trees a little bit, I could see elk bedded 
right in front of me, like 60 to 100 yards. There was the whole herd that I was dogging this whole time. I woke up right in the middle of it. And all of a sudden these deer woke out and walked or started started getting up and walking out. And I do remember it's still that haze over and that nice spike that I had at 40 yards at one day. And I just didn't pull the trigger for some reason. That, that was a trophy spike. The biggest spike <laughs> of the whole herd. <laughs> the herd spike. Is that a thing? But <laughs> that's a new thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna hashtag yeah, herd, herd spike. <laughs> herd spike. Yeah. So he he came out and I just remember that still faint light and and him sitting there. I don't know. You could almost take a moment before he had pulled the trigger, but pulling back and and shooting and getting your first spike. That's a special moment. Even if it's at four yards or fifty eight yards, it's it's still a big animal and it looks close, you know. Yeah, a lot of similarities and differences in our stories, and one of them is how yep. far the shot was. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. But um, I, I was I was proud of that though. With you know, oh yeah. Pe- people say maybe it's stupid to shoot fifty eight yards with a bow you never shot, but yeah, I, I don't think people get that. I sat there for hours after work just shooting that bow putting new sights on it putting new rests all this stuff and and this bow probably if i would sell it today if well i didn't sell it i gave it back but if you would sell this bow it'd probably be a hundred and some bucks fully fully 100 bucks i don't even think someone would buy it yeah so uh i I don't know if it's 93 but actually my boss shoots a martin from like the 90s and i was just shooting with him and I can attest when he was shooting that, when we were shooting together in his backyard the other day, I was actually very surprised at how fast those arrows flew out of that thing and how quiet it was. I The one thing I was surprised was how it holds its kinetic energy. I feel like so much better than the bows we have now. Are you talking about how it doesn't like slap or wobble or anything? No, it just doesn't drop. Like it, it just, it's a straight oh, you mean arrow. That, oh, you're talking about the drop on the arrow. Like yeah. the drop and how it, Oh, it just tracks and just punches through the target. No, versus... that's what that's what I'm saying. When I was watching him shoot, I was like, "That thing's coming out of there at Mach 10, dude!" Like it's just the one <laughs> the one thing I remember as a young kid. This is a little off tangent, but my dad. So you know this craze between light and heavy arrows. Oh yeah. Um, my dad used to shoot these aluminum Eastons with what they would call a snuffer broadhead, which is like 200, 200 grain arrow tip. <laughs> and he would he would shoot his practice tips through the old like block. He would blow almost through those things. Yeah. And then I had my PSC bow with a cam. It was a 2010 bow, and mine would just like hit the target and just like stop. And my big 30 inch yeah. arrow, I still was tall at that age. It would like stick way out, and Dad's arrows would just blow and knock the target over. Well, that's what in that video that you have of you shooting that buck with Dax out of that tree. Yeah, that I mean, that should have been a pass through. Yep, that totally. arrow was sticking out both sides of the deer. Yep, and that so was what, what was it a thirty yard shot? Uh, yep, thirty yard shot with a rage broadhead and all. Yep, I agree. Yeah, yep. uh, it was a cool that video was, having the arrow sticking out, but <laughs> yeah, that was with the Mach ten. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, I, I just I just think those old bows. People don't overthink it, man. I mean, sometimes a hundred dollar bow could be as good as your new fifteen, well, two thousand or three thousand dollars setup. But it's whatever, it's whatever you can use effectively. Yep, yep. Whatever you're comfortable with. I mean, you got to do you. 
I mean, listening to all his shows and stuff like that is a good thing to try to improve your setup. But at the end of the day, you're always going to have problems with things and want more, right? But you have to be comfortable with what's in your hand at that moment. Yeah, and I will say, like, when it comes to the terminal gear, like your broadhead and penetration, that's definitely important. But as far as, like, what you're shooting the arrow out of, it's yeah. it's whatever you can shoot accurately to range, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And also know your range. Like, yeah. I know that my range with that, that bow you just sold me, yeah, I know that my range with that is no nothing over forty five. Not because it's a bad bow or anything, but because I shot the same bow for ten years and I'm still figuring out my form on this bow, and I'm still yeah. shooting at about like a little less than a dinner plate at forty five. So I'm like, on an elk, that's fine. Uh, if I was spot and stock mule deer, maybe I'm only going thirty five. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, keep it simple. Anything anything that's going to kill the animal that you can shoot consistently, like that's fine. Mm-hmm. You don't need to spend $2,000 on your bow. Yeah, it, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, we got on a little tangent, but hopefully you have anything else to say, Ruben? Or? Oh, it's elk season and it's going, man. In the last two days I've had have been pretty rough, but the, the first four days I've hunted this year have been pretty awesome. So hopefully yep. we have a little turnaround here and I'll be telling another Elk killing story soon on the podcast, hopefully. You got deer coming up. When's opener for you? Yep, I agree. I want to say um, I got a lot of guys going out to Colorado and stuff to go hunt some elk. So elk season is upon us in the West. But in the Midwest, we got elk season or uh, deer, deer season starting this. When do we got? The 16th, <laughs> right? 16th of uh, September here in Minnesota. Oh, really? Your opener is this Saturday? This weekend, yep. So No way. We got a northwest wind coming here in the Midwest, and that's going to be perfect for, um, I don't know, we'll see. Don't want to jinx it. <laughs> yeah, nice. We're, we're, we're not in that boat. We're going to be up to 87 degrees on Saturday here. Oh, yeah, that's hot. But yeah, so. but yeah I, I think everybody, it's good to be back on here. We'll try to keep you some fresh content here and not go vacant for six weeks. But Yeah, we'll probably not do- – you guys just if you like listening to our podcast and you want to hear more you better hope that we just kill stuff soon because <laughs> that's how we're not gonna do another podcast soon is we're gonna be yep. out in a tree stand around the mountain like trying to kill something for the next few weeks but yeah if we find a mid midweek day when we're both having to work and not hunt we'll we'll definitely get the uh, yeah. microphones out but yeah but for sure well everybody stay safe out there in the woods and and have fun. I mean, that's the main point of this. Have fun and bring some meat home for the family. It's on season, baby. Hopefully these stories excite everybody to get out on the mountain and chase some elk bugles. Also, with archery seasons all around the United States starting open, I just want to tell everybody, good luck, stay safe out there, and enjoy the process. <laughs>